Hi, and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is a show where we like to bring out somebody in the RPG space and talk about something cool they're working on. I'm Mo, and I'm going to be talking to some game designers for the next couple months. Today, we're talking to Michael Lowe, designer of mini games. But today, we're going to talk about his RPGs for kids, Star Swarm, Giga City Guardians, and Luna Uni. Just to be upfront, Michael and I are great friends. We've designed some games together, and he's definitely a ringer as I get my head around interviewing people. But these are his games, and I'm a fan of them, and many of his thoughts. And as you'll soon see, I'm just working the mics here. Enjoy the interview. Well, let me start with me. I am Michael, uh, Michael Lowe. I'm a teacher, I'm a curriculum designer, and I'm a game designer. And for the last, what, four years now, I have been building story games that are designed both to welcome in new players, whether they're folks at home or folks running after school programs, and also educational games, games designed for classroom use to help uh, kids learn to write and master writing and to improve literacy at all levels. And part of that is Stories RPG. So Stories RPG is both a game and a podcast. Uh, and the games are coloring book games that uh, literally are play to learn. You just open them up, read page one, do what it tells you, and then flip the page. Uh, and they are accompanied by episodes of a podcast, which has a group of characters following a parallel storyline. So that there are sort of multiple ways that you can engage and learn how to do this thing that I feel like uh, some of us nerds like to think is special and that only we can do it when in reality it's the first game and you put two five-year-olds in a room, nobody needs to tell them how to play a story game. They're doing it within two seconds. So this is to welcome adults, not kids. Kids know how to do it. Adults back into the world of story gaming and kind of help them learn to play both with each other and with kids. Enough about you. Let's talk a little more about you. Um, <laughs> when did you get okay. into game, game design? Oh, I mean, as soon as I realized that was a thing you could do. So what, 12, I guess, 11. Nice. I, I started playing, um, I think my first role-playing game, I played AD&D at a sleepover with my artist buddy, Sean. And, uh, and I got, of course, hooked like you do when you're 11 and you play a good story game. And, uh, most of my, my, high school years i was playing palladium games and white wolf i was playing a lot of teenage mutant ninja turtles and other strangenesses which is a wonderful cool old game Fantastic. and amazing dope old comics and uh and yeah i started building things um you know i i built uh my actually my senior project for high school was a game with a buddy of mine eric who is still making games out there he's uh he's in um wisconsin madison and he he still he still makes games and releases them but we released a game where we had gradiated successes. So, you know, like um, going all the way from a critical failure all the way up to a critical success with like the yes buts and the yes, the no ands. Um, and we did that in what, 1997. So we had like a hundred page game about playing prehistoric humans. I actually dug it up and read it the other day. We thought we were a lot funnier than we were, but we had a lot of fun writing it. So that was the key. I think the Midwest is kind of like um, Hollywood. <laughs> of RPG design, you know, it's like everybody and their mom in LA has a script. You know, you know what it is? It just gets cold and we don't have anything better to do all winter exactly. long. Exactly. We hide in people's basements and play games with math rocks because, you know, 
That's what I we've think, got going on. It's, and it's I think fun. deep snow and a cold winter was like the radioactive spider for D and D. That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, what are some of the uh, themes and feelings around Star Sworn? Well, you know, it's funny because Star Sworn is our fantasy game. Um, mm-hmm. In that in that setting, the stars fall and certain star signs, so it sort of taps into a lot of mythology, uh, choose people that they imbue with a strange power. Giga City Guardians is our super heroic sort of four-color action, um, which is set in a, a near future where there's all the, uh, the, the monsters and mayhem that you can shake a stick at. And then there's also Luna Uni, which is the classroom game, which has come out, uh, which, I mean, technically we ran the Kickstarter, but it's going to come out, uh, the final version is going to come out sometime end of July, beginning of August. I've got two classes uh, that are currently teaching, writing full-time with Luna Uni, which is great. And that one's a science fiction one in a sort of utopian future where the the kids who, who want to do punk rock stuff and build things that they shouldn't are all sent to this crazy uh, center for for learning, Luna Uni, which is a moon that's been terraformed into a university. Every single one of them, if you want to talk about themes, it's it's about a couple of different things. One, it's about community. Um, I'm really interested in games' ability to foster community at the table and help people both sort of really learn who they themselves are, but also really connect in a genuine way with other people in a short amount of time. I've never seen anything that can help people get to know each other and feel really genuinely connected as a crew, um, which as a teacher, you know, classroom culture building, that's like, that's everything. If you can get a bunch of uh, kids working together in a genuine way, then they can learn anything. And I've never seen anything that can do that as quickly or as deeply as a story game. Um, so community is really at the center of each of these. I would say wonder and awe. There's the the joy of exploring a weird fantasy world. You can't you can't underestimate that. It's it's wonderfully unique about a, a really good game that you can sort of have this experience where you don't even know what you're gonna say when you encounter something, and when you generate it together, the ownership you feel and the excitement you feel in that fantasy world, it's really genuine. So wonder, community, um, I'm going to go with uh, a sense of, um, I'll say, uh, this isn't necessarily a feel. All my games are nonviolent, which doesn't mean there is an action, and it doesn't mean that violence is an impossibility. It means that the solution is never to hurt something. So dealing with the questions of... But if they're nonviolent, how do you resolve conflict? (laughs) Woo! I'm and sorry. you just revealed the you just revealed the major problem with the world. Yeah. Okay. Well just, done. Just just for those who are listening in, uh, to the podcast, because this is only yeah. a podcast, that uh-huh. was an underhanded pitch. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, you I know you and I have talked about this a thousand times, but for anyone who's sort of new to the concept. I think there's a few different ways I could explain why nonviolence is so important to me as an educator and also as a parent. Um, But let me explain it in a very basic way. If you're playing with kids, would you ever want to role play through a sexual scenario? Not, not, Not so much. Not so much. So I ask that question often because people's response is very intuitive and it's very deep. Of course not. 
I think it's very bizarre that we don't feel the same way about violence. That imagining having a kid coached through and even framing a scene that is violent, a scene that where a kid might in their avatar form commit murder, right? At a D&D table, very often you are playing a group of people who murder and have murdered many times and will murder again. And you get points. About, you get points and laugh about and murder, level up. Laugh about murder, make jokes about murder, consider murder to be entertaining, exciting. I find that deeply troubling. Um, and one thing I've noticed about kids is kids actually are more comfortable with violence than they are with emotional difficulty. You really want to encourage grit and you want to encourage problem solving. You have kids do what we all do, right? Every day in our lives, which is wrestle with how to actually deal with problems, how to mm -hmm. understand people, figure things out, ask questions, persuade, research, argue. And, you know, of course, get into all sorts of zany hijinks. I mean, this is the thing is like, I'd rather have a scene where you have to sabotage a bunch of construction equipment and play horrible pranks on humans who are invading your, your junkyard home um, than I would a, a brawl where people get injured. And most kids would actually find the mischief and the pranking more exciting too. Um, violence becomes their way that they've learned through our fiction, sadly, that uh, problems get solved. Because in most storytelling that they've seen, um, a lot of what we see, right, in movies, we personify evil, and then we have a cathartic, heroic murdering of evil, and that removes the problem, which, of course, that doesn't work in real life, right? Um, one, if you can find somebody who's doing something villainous, killing them isn't going to solve the problem. And instead, it's often going to perpetuate trauma and cycles of violence. So I like making stories where... Everything is about arguing and wrestling and figuring things out and wonder and excitement and adventure and pranks and all the, the fun stuff in the stories. And I treat, uh, I treat murderous violence the same way I would treat uh, explicit sexual content as something that doesn't belong in the stories that I'm telling. So uh, just for our listeners, um, me, me and Michael are, are uh, good friends. And we've hmm. been on panels talking about nonviolence in games. So uh, I know this, but I think it's a really interesting approach to games because it's so uncommon. Um, and I think a lot of his points are salient, especially when gaming with kids. Also, listeners, me and Michael have spent many hours, um, many 40-hour work weeks, dare I say, <laughs> year, we have years of experience discussing game design. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Together. So yeah. Um, uh, for for the listeners, the uninitiated, how does somebody come into your, one, of your, one of these games and play it? Well, the, the simplest answer is character design is, is where you start, right? Character and world design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually in the game, there are little read-alouds, which I call hooks. You read them aloud, that gives you an idea of what's going on, and then there are the, the things for you to do as a player. So there'll be a little introductory read-aloud at the beginning, and then you'll build your character based on what you've learned about the world, a character for that world. So example, in Giga City, it'll frame that you are at the center of Giga City, which is the world's largest and most superhero infested city on the planet. It's an enormous coastal city that goes from 
from the very top to the very bottom of an unnamed country, which we might assume is the United States, but we won't, we won't cast aspersions. Um, and, uh, and you know, that it's full of monsters, mayhem, mutants, kaiju, all the different things, super science. So almost anything is possible. And you are a new superhero in that city. So you'll read that aloud. Now, characters themselves are very simple and intuitive to design. Um, really easy to do. You get to pick five lines on a sheet. And these lines are basically sentences. You fill in the sentences. There's a drive. This is what motivates your character. Are you trying to prove yourself to your parents? Or are you trying to prevent anyone from being hurt by supervillains because you lost somebody who, who mattered to you in a moment of super, super violence, right? Um, there's downfall, whatever your character struggles with. Um, I really, you know, I'm, I'm insecure and I need people to see me. Um, I'm shy and I get crippled in social situations um, because those are really interesting things about who your character is. The game always centers an interesting story above any concept of winning or losing. You're there with your friends to tell a great story. You're mm. not there with your friends to prove anything, to win or to, to defeat. You're there to tell an awesome story where you guys are all in awe of what you built together. So when you fill out all these lines, and they include things like your superpower, right? And a quirk, something weird or unique about you that, you know, so maybe Spider-Man is like, can't help himself from, from uh, smart, smart talking when mm -hmm. he's in costume. Mm -hmm. or, uh, or for instance, um, oh, I don't know what, I'm trying to think of another good superhero quirk. Wolverines would be something about uh, smoking stogies and always being obnoxious. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, you know, because yeah, 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 yeah. Quirk is the thing that, you know, it's that little, I like to start with quirks when I'm building characters. I almost always like to start with a weird, funky thing that sticks in your mind because the rest of the character will kind of build themselves around that line for me. You get five of these lines initially. And when you're facing a difficulty later in the game, Anytime you want to make a move to try to change things, and this is not PBTA make a move, this is just do something to alter the flow of the story. Um, then you roll, and when you roll, you leverage those lines. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, if I'm playing Get a Grip, who is one of the extra, she's she's a character in Giga City Ghosts, which is the, uh, the game you play at home that goes along with the podcast, Giga City Guardians. Um, she has friction control. So if I wanted to, for example, uh, run up the side of a building and then slow uh, the descent of someone who's falling out of the sky, right? I might say, all right, well, get a grips drive is, um, I'm never gonna let Lee, I'm never gonna let anyone get hurt on my watch. Mm. Okay, so that there's my drive, that's one. My downfall is I'm reckless. But in this case, my downfall is going to help me because this is kind of a reckless move. I'm running up the side of this building. There's there's a chaos happening in the sky. There's danger here. And then my third line is my my power, right? My my friction control. That's mm -hmm. going to stick me to the side of the building, and it's also going to let me increase the friction on the falling person against the air and hopefully slow their descent. So that'll give me three dice. And I'd roll those three dice and the high roll, and this is really important to me as a designer, which I know you told me, talk about the experience, but this is, this is key to the experience design-wise. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I believe in gasp factor. Okay. When the dice hit the table, you have to intuitively know what just happened so that everyone around the table, when the dice hit it, is, can be like, <gasps> and you know, you can have the cheering of, yeah, or you can, oh God, like you want the immediate, intuitive, emotional response 
because that's what the dice are there for. Hmm. For me, that's the purpose of the randomness in a story game. That mechanic exists to intensify the emotions. It lets you, um, you know, if you think about reading a good book or watching a great movie, right? There mm -hmm. are those moments that surprise you, those twists, right? And that's that hooks you back in and it, it submerges you and it keeps you on the edge of your seat, right? Well, when you're telling the story yourself, it can be a little bit predictable what's going to happen unless you have a mechanic like this to inject some emotion. So the real simple answer is it's 3D6. They hit the table. The high die determines what happens. If you get a six, that's a triumph. You did it perfectly, went off exactly like the person slows in the air. They bounce off an awning and land on the street safely, get up and dust themselves off. A four to a five, that's triumph, but with a trouble. There's a complication. Mm. Maybe when, when get a grip is slowing that, that person down, she loses her own grip. And she starts to fall off the building as she slows them down. And she ends up getting wounded and losing a heart. You have three hearts. Um, then if you get a one to a three, that's a straight up trouble. You fail and something terrible happens. Um, and you get to decide and discuss what that terrible thing is and what would be exciting or interesting for the story. So that's the, uh, that's the basic mechanic. In the game, every live scene takes up two pages facing each other. There's a hook, which is usually a read aloud, plus a, a coloring book illustration. Then there's a section called Explore the Scene, which asks a bunch of questions. Who's around? What's around? Um, and gives the teller, which is what I call the GM because I'm not comfortable with GM. I also like MC, Master of Ceremonies, since you know, you're know you the person who's helping the thing happen. You're right. not in charge of it, but you're facilitating, right? right? It tells you what to describe, how to play some of the extra characters, gives you some hints about what to to you know really develop uh well that that kind of gets to my question because i too have uh mm. argued with kids or mm. i mean parented and um <laughs> <laughs> uh what what happens when how, like how do you give guidelines for um this is a very rules-like game and uh i could see some people saying well it's just magical tea time do, do you have uh have Here's what's interesting about that. Why is anybody against magical tea time? Well, what happened to everybody since they were young enough to appreciate magical tea time that somehow they decided it was a, an invective to call something open story play? I would argue next time you see a bunch of five-year-olds sitting around, pay very close attention to how they negotiate story together. Because if you do, you'll learn something about how you should be shaping your own story games. Touche. Um, I know there are a lot of people who play games that have uh, hundreds of pages of rules mm -hmm. uh, before they talk about the world and the characters mm -hmm. uh, who would say there need to be a lot more guidelines. Let's let's put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you help support the game not going off the rails? So I'll, I'll give you two answers. The first thing is those types of games are the reason that very few people play these sorts of games. Historically, we've excluded people from the hobby by making the rules first and the experience second. Any game is essentially an experience design, right? You're trying hmm. to create an experience for a group of people. My goal is if my rules get in the way of people being able to learn the game and play together, then I'm not doing my job. 
There are crunchy systems. And if you're somebody who really wants to play like a really hyper complex system, because your type of fun, and this is another design element that I think is really key. Um, there are eight types of fun that have been identified by this particular model that I like. They go from things like uh, competition to community and fellowship to expression of the self to um, tactile feelings, you know, the things that allow you to sense, whether it's art or the minis on the table, right? Anytime you play, if you say to yourself, mm, I don't like this game, it doesn't mean necessarily, it may be a badly designed game. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that the game is bad. It may be that it's not a game that does the type of fun that you like. Mm. So if your type of fun is tactics and winning and you want the, the joy of, I designed this particular complicated set of rules to allow me to do this exceptional thing within a really restrictive system that doesn't let you do a lot of stuff, then, then I'm, not, I'm not designing games for you. I'm designing games for people who are interested in fellowship, so connection at the table, uh, expression, being able to express themselves and also to appreciate each other's expression, and also creative expression, uh, wonder, this feeling of fantasy, right? Creating a world together, creating characters together. At the end of one of these game sessions, the goal is I want to have you excited about the story that you told and wanting to learn more about the characters and what happens next. Mm -hmm. um, now, my measure of whether I've managed to do this is always people who've never played story games before. Um, and one of the interesting things, this idea that, you know, well, you don't have enough guidelines as to what has to happen. To me, that suggests that you're requiring the rules to adjudicate something that in my games should be happening between you. I don't ever have problems with kids coming up with, you know, people say, well, what if they just come up with something that fixes the problem? The game privileges story first. We're telling an interesting story. And it coaches things as, man, what makes a story interesting? Drama makes it interesting, right? If everything goes well for a character and they're hyper-powerful and they fix everything automatically, I'm bored. I'm going home. I don't want to listen to this story. It coaches players to not just play as characters wanting to win. And this is a problem with, for me, a lot of traditional games. They put you in an antagonistic role um, between players and the storyteller. The storyteller is there to challenge you and to defeat you and to attempt to kill you. And you must survive and prove that you are more clever and, and, and harder than they are. This limits you to the role of a character, which if you want to do that, that's great. Go ahead and play it. I want my players to be authors as well. I want them mm. to be thinking, hmm, what would be fun in this scene? And I always know when I've done a good job, one, when people who've never played these games before pick them up and play them and love them. And two, when players are actively like, oh, okay, hold on. Let's mess this one up because I want to see what happens. It would be cooler for this scene if we fail at it because then, then we'll have more drama in the next scene. That's how I know that they're thinking in the way that, um, that I want them to think as authors as well as what I call avatars, right? Characters gotcha. are your avatar in the in the book. Um, and I say in the book because as somebody who teaches literacy, one of the things I think is really cool about story games is they allow for the bridging of a gap that exists for a lot of readers who struggle. So polished readers, they forget the words. They become the characters in the book. They're fully submerged. The world exists in their head. Struggling readers, they're spending so much time decoding the words on the page that they get interrupted 
from associating with the characters in the book. They're thinking too much about the process. For me, that's what rules can do to a good story game. A story game, if it's really good, the rules don't get in the way of you falling into your character, becoming your character, but also allowing yourself to occasionally step back and say, hmm, as an author, what would be fun here? Forget about being my character for a moment. How could this scene be cool? My character might not like what I'm about to do, but boy, as a, as both the audience for this story and as an author, I think it'd be really cool if we, we caused them some trouble. You sound like a teacher. Um, <laughs> Gosh, I wonder. I, I mean, I'd like to say I came by it honestly. Uh, right, Twenty plus right, years, right. you know. Yeah. You keep using this phrase "story mm. game." Is that your yeah. company? Is that a type of game? And how is it different? Is it the same or different than role playing games? You know, that's an interesting question. I often say that D and D is kind of like uh, it's a war game with like with like an icing of story game on top. The, if okay. you look at the mechanics of the game, if you look at the meat of the game, what makes the game function, it encourages, uh, it's really about tactics, right? The yeah, whole yeah. game is about create your character so your character can attack and defend on a battlefield. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very, very scant list of things that don't have to do with fighting that, that are your quote unquote abilities. But the way that you adjudicate non-combat moments with that system is very, very light. And the way you adjudicate combat is very heavy. There's a lot of rules surrounding it and a lot of mechanics surrounding it. Um, in some ways, I kind of think that's that's the genius of D&D. Um, because people who love uh, very clear, rigid tactical guidelines can obsess about how to build their characters tactically. But the, the story rules are so light that the reason I think people fall in love with D&D is most of the story gaming they're doing on top of that war game is story gaming they created. Mm. They made it up. The, the game doesn't give them, you know, too much guidance or too much push as far as story goes. Um, and that lets them have the freedom to create the story that they want to tell. So I think in some ways, you know, D&D is one of the most rules light story games. It's a mm. rules heavy mm. war game, right. but it's a rules light story game. Um, I take out the war because I'm nonviolent. And let me give you an example. Um, for me, this is the measure of, you know, how much do you put in? How much structure can you put into the story to help without getting in the way of that immersion, right? That moment when you become the character and you become the story and you're, you're fully in it. Um, I got these two guys who I'm super in love with. They're adorable. Tom and Tyler, they are two fifth grade teachers in Maine, who are running Stories RPG, um, my game, uh, Luna Uni, that's the setting they're using. Um, and this is a, a fully classroom ready, it's got rubrics, it's got pacing guides, um, classroom ready writing program that uses story games. Kids get to take on their avatars and create their own worlds that they travel to as a crew. It's a sci-fi setting. I thought these two guys were gamers. Um, because when we first got connected, they said on Twitter, yeah, we're running a, you know, we just started running a D and D after school club. And I thought, okay, so these guys know what games are. It wasn't until after they'd run their first live session. So their first game where they were running, uh, a, an active live role-playing scenario for 25th graders that I found out 
that they had never played a role-playing game in their lives. They'd never but run it, one. They never played one. They had but picked it up the D&D. Cool. <laughs> but the, cool. the D&D, they had picked the D&D after school club as a like, hey, let's do something that's fun for the kids. And yeah. they hadn't really figured out the rules. They had never run a session. They'd never been in a session. They just sort of helped the kids talk about story. And mm -hmm. the measure for me of whether the system that I had created was effective at helping both kids and teachers have this immersive story experience that then became the inspiration for all these stories that they were writing, because that's the core to the program, was that these two guys ran this and absolutely killed it. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The kids were on fire. And the kids were already in the first session excited about what the troubles were and talking about what would be interesting for the next session and automatically starting to write the stories that would lead them to the next session. So for me, that's rules perfect. It's not rules light, it's not rules heavy. It's just enough to get people who don't know how to do the thing to do the thing in a natural, intuitive way. Um, so that's that's what I'm looking for, is, is rules just right. And just to be clear, this is for kids and teachers, right? Yep, and for really any age. I mean, I play this with adults and everybody loves it. I think my favorite uh, setting is one that adults love. Both adults and kids are really into it. Uh, we as goblins, which may or may not be our next arc in the pod. We're trying to decide which world we're going to next. We got a, I got mm -hmm. so many that I work with kids. I have classes that I teach online where I teach kids to write using this approach. And they, they write hundreds of pages and not for a grade and not for credit, but because they love it and they're into it. But um, one of my favorite is We as Goblins, where you play a crew of uh, mischievous, uh, obnoxious, wonderful, pranky uh, critters hiding out in the modern world and navigating humans who are always a pain in the butt. Um oh Humans. Humans is always making stink and is making everything, everything not good. So, um, but they, you know, whether adult or kid, there's something wonderful about playing a game in which the point is to sneak into prank and to be weird and funky and obnoxious, not to fight and to overcome, you know, disrupting some of those, those sort of weirdly, I, I think of them as played out and boring tropes of heroism. I don't think a guy who punches people is heroic. Like every time I see a Batman movie now, I'm like, okay, dude, billions of dollars. And you're going to dress up like a bat and punch people. Come on. Like that. That's who we want to look up to. I want some weird, funky, uh, unique people who have interesting relationships and like communities and who get into weird, wonderful, bizarre situations. I'd rather watch a studio Ghibli film than a, than a, than a superhero movie. And that's me. Um, and if you're really into superhero movies, that's cool. Like I love, I love some good superhero stuff. Giga City Guardians, man. That's my, that's my swan song to '90s X-Men and the Morlocks. Mm -hmm. um, but man, I want to talk about community and identity, and I want to talk about weirdness and funkiness and wonder. I don't really want to, you know, punch anybody. Got it. Um, is there a community around your game where people can kind of? Um, hang out and like look from the sidelines and slowly <laughs> become less shy and get engaged. Um, are you asking about a Discord? I got a few. Uh, I mean, I, I, if if people were were interested um, mm. in checking it out, like how would they get 
involved with others playing the game? Uh, I mean, so I have a lot of free stuff. The core rules for the Stories RPG game are a one-page free document. Uh, they were created, uh, what, four years ago as part of the one-page RPG jam. Mm -hmm. And they are up online on my itch page, and you can download that, and it's playable as is. Starsworn and Giga City are designed to literally just be open to page one with any group of people you're with, and you can start immediately playing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's uh, the podcast is an easy way to segue in. You can start listening. And whether you're listening to Starsworn for that fantasy arc, or if you're listening to Giga City Guardians because you're more into that four color, uh, uh, you know, super heroic action, um, either way, it's an easy way to learn how the question and answer and the flow of things at a story game table work and to, you know, get the opportunity if you want to go download the game and play along because that's the thing, the podcast story and the, uh, the game story run in parallel and they have these mm. little connection points where you encounter the characters who are in the show and mm -hmm. the storylines weave together over time. So there's nice. a lot of options and yes, we have discords, um, but they're, I have a TTRPGs for teachers discord and Luna uni has its own discord now. Cause, uh, cause we got a lot of, a lot of folks who are interested in running after school programs and teaching using role-playing games. Um, so nice. yeah, that's a huge focus for me. Nice, nice, nice. And if listeners want to follow and support you, um, how do they do that? So you got a couple options. You can go to patreon.com backslash stories RPG. If you sign up there, you get pretty much everything I've ever made uh, mm -hmm. for for the uh, the price of the monthly subscription. And since we're we're going towards ads eventually on the podcast, you'll get the podcast ad free forever. And um, you'll also get everything new before it's released to anyone else and physical copies of every game as we kickstart them without having to sign up for the Kickstarter extra. So that's super handy. StoriesRPG.com. You can go there to find out about the podcast, to uh, learn a bit more. You can listen to all the episodes. Um, it's wherever you want to find podcasts, we're there. So Stories RPG, that podcast is everywhere you want to find it. And if you're interested in, in classes uh, with me or you're interested in my educational approach, I've got a whole bunch up at luckoflegends.com. So that's L-U-C-K of legends. Um, and yeah, you can find me all those places. And then on itch, I'm luck of legends. And there's a whole bunch more there, including a couple games for adults in case you're, you know, I, I refuse to play all ages games. Give me something. Uh, I'm, I'm extra. too old for those story games. Oh yeah. No, you're <laughs> never too old. Right, if you're too old for little kid games, you have, you have aged out of, uh, out of the fun. Don't age out of fun. I agree. I think play keeps us young and Heck I think yes. it's the, the killer hack of the RPG community is that um, a lot of adults, uh, many whom are gray, uh, mm -hmm. continue to play. And I think it's mm -hmm. beautiful. Well, and it keeps um, you, it doesn't just keep you young. It keeps you connected, creative, and uh, it, it keeps your joy, right? Like, I feel like if you want to talk about as people age, right? We're supposed to do all these brain teasers and there's all these ways you can keep connected. But the big, the big elements are make sure you have intellectual projects that are difficult and challenging that keep you fresh mm -hmm. and make sure you have community. If you're playing role-playing games on the regular, it's, it's a recipe, man. Stay, yeah. stay there. It'll keep you, it'll keep you from, um, from giving up the things that really keep you enjoying life. 
look at that there. Great words to end on. Thank you so much, Michael Lowe. Um, I, I brought you in here as a, as a ringer because I, <laughs> I knew it would be good. <laughs> but I do appreciate you taking the time to share with the people. Um, Mo, I will always talk to you whether on or off uh, air. It's absolutely my pleasure. Oh, thanks. It's it's bring Michael Lowe to work day, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great one. Keep gaming. And if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Much love. Bye, y'all. All right. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.